You're listening to Writers on Writing, a show about the art, craft, and business of writing. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. Today we're focusing on one of my favorite genres, noir, and I'm with the perfect guest to talk about it, Molly Odins and Gary Phillips. Molly is senior editor for Crime Reads and editor and contributor to Austin Noir, published by Akashic. She grew up in Austin and was a bookseller at Book People. Gary Phillips has published various novels, comics, short stories, and edited several anthologies, including the Anthony-winning The Obama Inheritance, 15 Stories of Conspiracy Noir, and South Central Noir, recently published by Akashic. The Washington Post named his novel One Shot Harry as one of the best mysteries of 2022, and it's been nominated for a Nero and McCavity Awards. He was also a staff writer and co-producer on Snowfall, streaming on Hulu about crack and the CIA in 1980s South Central, where he grew up. And the Akashic anthology I edited and contributed a story to is Palm Springs Noir. On the show, we talked about the noir subgenre, putting together an anthology, the Writers Guild strike, beginning stories, the role of an editor as regards anthologies, and more. Before we bring them on, though, I need to say a few words about Patreon. Please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash writers on writing and become a supporter. There are perks. Any amount helps us to continue bringing the show to you. For more than 20 years, the show broadcast at KUCI on the UCI campus. During COVID, Marie and I brought the studio to our homes, but that required investing in equipment. So even a few dollars a month helps us to continue bringing the show to you. And now, for my talk with Molly Odins and Gary Phillips. I'm so glad to talk with both of you. I I wanted to have both of you on because you're both editors um, of at least one Akashic Noir um, anthology as as am I. And so I want to talk about noir and I want to talk about your your books. Um, and but I think maybe before we even begin, for people who aren't really familiar with noir, maybe let's talk about that, what that is, what what that is to you. Like how do you experience noir or write about you know noir? What what is it to you? I guess when I think about the Akashic Noir series, I think about how um, most of what we're we're told about other countries and other cities and like there there's so much like positive, almost fluffy travel related content. And it's nice to get to kind of travel via the the underbelly and the like the the uncomfortable truths about various cities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also yeah. go ahead no no i don't want to cut you off go ahead uh I, and then there's there's also the whole like where it's coined by the french to describe american crime fiction because they hadn't read any for like a few years during world war ii because it was embargoed and then when they like caught up with american fiction they were like whoa this is really dark <laughs> but also part of that is because uh film was hard to get a hold of during world war ii and things literally became darker lighting wise mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. uh yeah there are yeah. many that noir means to me i i would just sort of add to that uh i really like what molly said about this question of uh you know the various noir uh, anthologies that now Akashic has done, I guess more than a hundred of them, uh, where we take these tours of uh, either cities or uh, in uh, or in some cases like in South Central or you know very, or even in, in uh, uh, Austin or Palm Springs or various enclaves of of an area, and because you sort of show the underbelly and the flip side of it, it does kind of uh, I think 
draw you in and give you a sense of, of a place uh, without being all, uh, you know, travel log. In fact, I guess the opposite of the travel log. So I think that's really worked, you know, to Akashic's uh, favor, right? You know, in, in figuring this out and now having uh, done these numerous uh, anthologies, uh, because really, you know, and noir, and I'll just finish with saying, noir is something of an elastic term I mean, really, to me, I think it's about a Doom character on a Doom path. Now, some of these things, yes and no, but that's okay. They are dark and they are foreboding. So that's that's pretty good. Hmm. So uh, what was it like? I mean, do you remember the first, your first experience of noir or what you read that kind of, that drew you in and when that was? Do you remember that? Molly? Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, I mean, I guess I remember borrowing my sister's copy of Dirty Snow by <laughs> when I was like 14 and she was reading it in college. And I read that book and was like, this is so fucked up, but not, <laughs> not in a pretentious way, you know? It's not like messed up in a way that's like full of itself, like The Stranger. Hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, nihilism but with humor but there's also i mean there is the critical take that you can have towards like not wanting to portray things as unrelentingly depressing in a difficult to change way because that gives the status quo too much uh too much credit Mm. as a long-lasting like state of nature type thing instead of like the product of specific recent political decisions that are like re-emphasized with every budget cycle. <laughs> hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny. I often think um, when I was a kid, I mean, really a kid, uh, I got this uh, collection of among things, I got uh, this collection of Edgar Allan Poe stories. Hmm. So I, I, you know, it, murders in the Rue morgue is not really noir. It's just really strange. Right. Of course, because it's the ape and all that sort of stuff. But the mood, I think, that uh, Poe uh, set kind of uh, made an impression on me. And then it was later where I stumble into, I guess in my teen years, I stumble into, um, oh, well, Hammett. Uh, and Hammett's not really noir either. I suppose Hammett's really more hard-boiled. But still, reading Hammett's short stories, again, made an impression on me. And then eventually finding my way to actual noir, which would really would be, I suppose, Jim Thompson and his characters, uh, who who yeah. Do, yeah, you know, fit the fit the d- definition of doom characters on a doom path. As as someone from Texas, when I first read Jim Thompson, I was like, oh man, like this feels like the only honest way to write about his setting. Yeah, yeah. Like, Twelve eighty, where the serial killer is still not nearly as bad as his like racist and competent colleagues. Dig it exactly right, right, precisely. Oh man, I know. Hmm. Or like, uh, it's so funny. I, I was just at a. Uh, speaking of Texas, I was just at the uh, at this Dallas Noir Film Festival that my agent and some of his uh, running buddies put on in uh, in Dallas. My my literary agents in Dallas. And anyway, one of the films they showed was The Getaway, right? Which was the first version, the Peckinpah version with McQueen and McGraw. And it's so funny when you see that film uh, not having seen it again for, for uh, in many years but how it you know it's a nice little hard-boiled tale but how it really does pale in comparison <laughs> to the jim thompson book and how messed up oh. uh, you know <laughs> i don't know i mean i'm from the generation that spent all of our years of elementary school telling each other dead baby jokes and like <laughs> even me uh but also like i don't know sometimes i think about um uh how i i'm sorry i lost my thought it'll come back what about jim thompson what's your favorite your favorite novels uh it's a toss-up between pop 1280 and the killer inside me there you go that's it that's right and then the grifters the grifters yep yeah yeah so good. Um, the Alcoholics. I liked that one. Yeah. And by the way, <clears throat> even Jim Thompson's memoir, which of course is totally made up, 
I mean, you can't, you, you can't even, you know, even that's pretty good, right? Because it's, it's it, half of it or damn near three quarters of it is all fiction. So, yeah. Hmm. Are you yeah, familiar like, with oil fields? We don't know. <laughs> Are you familiar with Vicki Hendricks? Oh, I love her. Yeah. Her Miami purity is so dark. That's right. That's very true. Well, I was waiting for a prescription to be filled and it. Yeah, yeah. Vicky and I did a little tour together uh, a few years ago, uh, coming through coming through Texas. In fact, yeah, that was pretty cool. Hmm. Well, let's talk about your books. Let's talk about Austin Noir and South Central Noir. I would love to hear how each of these came about. Um, in terms of, you know, did you approach Akashic? Did they approach you? And then what? I want to. I want to hear from Gary first. Okay, Gary. Well. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a few, uh, well, I've been in a few uh, of the Akashic uh, Noir uh, series. And then previously, um, somewhat out of my comfort zone, I had put together uh, Orange County Noir. And this was, uh, my God, it's already 2008. Oh, <laughs> uh, and, and, but that one, well, actually, even further back, uh, Jeremy Turberlon and I, uh, through Jeremy's intervention, we had done uh, the Cocaine Chronicles. That was the first, really that was the first thing we did. And, we, and that's because we had met Johnny, Johnny Temple, the publisher. We had met him at one of the BoucherCon. I think it was the BoucherCon in Vegas, which and was a great- you've done, you've done like 50 anthologies by now, right? Uh, not 50, but I've done a number. But, <clears throat> so we did the Cocaine Chronicles and that kind of put us on the radar and that did kind of well for, uh, for Akashic. And then, so then over a period of time, you know, I've been in LA Noir and blah, blah, blah. All right. So then we get to Orange County Noir, which I had, I had pitched uh, Johnny on. And Johnny wasn't big on doing it, but the, the staff uh, was because at the time, you know, you had, uh, what was that show? The OC or whatever the hell it was called and this and that. So Orange County was kind of in, you know, kind of had a national uh, profile. And so to that extent, they, they could sell them on the idea. So then, you know, years go by. And then at some point, I don't know, I guess a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, I was thinking, you know, they had never done a South Central Noir. And of course, South Central, because of gangster rap and because of certain movies, has a reputation, right? For good and for ill, but it has this reputation and it has a... Uh, uh, so it's, it's, it's like a neighborhood that people know the name of all over the world, which is right. kind of like, that's, that's, that's rare. Yeah, and but they have no sense of, right, the history of it, et cetera, et cetera, right? And and so I thought, well, okay, so let's let's explode that, let's 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 fool with that. And so I I sent a note to Johnny about it, and he actually was receptive, unlike the, the hard sell for Orange County. Mm -hmm. He was receptive, uh, but he was you know everything was backed up in the queue because we were just coming out of the uh, I guess we we're still in kind of the pandemic then. Now that I think about it, but anyway, he wanted to revisit the idea six months, and sure enough, six months rolled around, and uh, damned if uh, we didn't revisit the idea. Uh, and then he approved it, and and we were off to the races. And as people know, you all know, uh, you know, Kasich has got this down to a formula, right? So it's it's fourteen stories, no more, no less. Uh, and uh, whether it's whether it's a different uh, region or different cities or different uh, parts of of a specific area, you know, they do the map, and and we kind of break it down as to what area is what, and and uh, what writer picks what area. Hmm. Well, Orange County Noir was my my gateway drug to noir in terms of writing it because of that, Gary, of coming to you because Susan Strait at the LA Times Festival of Books, she's like, you should talk to Gary. He's putting together an anthology. And I thought it was an anthology of essays or something. <laughs> so I'm like, Gary, and you're like, yeah, noir. And you went close to me. So I'm like, okay. And um, it was it was great, a great. It was, it was a good story. It was a great story. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Molly? How about Austin Noir? Oh, your story was better than mine. <laughs> um, Austin Noir. Uh, so I pitched uh, I pitched Abraham and Johnny on it, uh, partially with uh, hey, Austin sucks now. People are ready to read about murder here. Ha, ha. And I'm really hoping we captured the moment that people have, are turning against Austin on a way where they really want to buy this book. <laughs> That's great. 
yeah, it's pretty fun. I, one thing I was surprised about when we put together Austin Noir was um, the sort of shifting population centers of the city. So we had a lot more content about North Austin than I was expecting. And North Austin means what? North Austin uh, used to be suburbs and uh, like Dell and kind of yeah. tech area. Yeah. Uh, but it's gotten increasingly built up. And a lot of the, the places that have been suburbs are like getting a lot of um, apartment complexes and things like that now. And it's kind of the process of watching the, the areas that used to be peripheral in the yes. city become sort of the inner ring of the peripheral. Mm, yeah. Continues to expand. As it expands and absorbs, yeah, yeah. That's, it, that's, that's, that's interesting you bring it up, Molly, because there's some of that even within South Central now. I mean, but but it's just the the, the maniac nut uh, uh, way in which real estate now is just uh, insane here in Los Angeles and the Southland in general, I suppose, really. But even within what what was considered, you know, the hood uh, and South Central, there's certainly some edges of that. Not not. Certainly not within the heart, but certainly on, as you said, on the outer rings of, of what would be South Central, uh, you, you are starting to see this this gentrification happen. I mean, actually, where I live, we're not really in South Central, but we, we butt up against what was called West Adams. And West Adams was traditionally sort of this black middle class area, and now it's transforming. Uh, and there's actually been some articles about that. So it's it's just uh, it's kind of strange and weird and. Uh, uh, you know, and it, and it just sort of one thing, population. About, one thing I thought about with your anthology when it came out was um, your wonderful novel, The Underbelly, <laughs> and how much more intense the crisis of housing has gotten since you. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. It's, uh, no, it, it really is. I mean, like places on on uh, what. Adams Boulevard, which is, you know, the heart of, of West Adams are going for, you know, just like these little, you know, 400 square feet or whatever it is, like for $2,800. It's just insane. It's just nuts. So when you were putting together the anthologies, how did you choose your writers and how did you come up with, I mean, do you have certain neighborhoods that you had to include and others you're like, uh, not or did writers bring areas to you that they really wanted to cover? Um, yes, yes and no and yes. <laughs> <laughs> like there are some areas that we really wanted to make sure that we covered. Like we have a story in East Austin, we have a story in um, uh, Clarksville, we have a story, we have one downtown story. A lot of the uh, locations that authors picked ended up being kind of cheeky nods to a uh, sprawling motor city. Mm. So one story is entirely set in a parking garage, like a notoriously annoying parking garage. <laughs> no one ever wants to park in. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of brilliant. What about you, Gary? You know, I, uh, being an old timer, South Central, South Central LA is not called South Central LA, right? In, in 2003, the city council, because of gangs rap, because of these infamous movies, uh, rechristened it South LA. And it's, and it's technically, it is, it is South LA. And South Central, they just proscribed this little strange little, I think they call it historic South Central within, within uh, these boundaries of South LA, like a little two point, two, uh, two, two and a quarter square mile area. But I define South Central in a much uh, larger and more historic geographic sense. And so because I did it like that, and I, and I say this in the introduction to the, uh, to the anthology, uh, and I also then tell that to the writers I reached out to so that, and, and I should say, um, all the stories are not modern set. There are some stories that are historic, which I, I just love because I never, I never gave them that kind of uh, parameter but I think because some of the writers who who, uh, who came to the table and because they did uh, tell a, a historic story, even better than uh, provided the example of this rich history of South Central that a lot of people don't know. Uh, and so in that way, um, I mean, I look like I look like I knew what I was doing, which I, I sort of halfway did. But really, 
I just reach out to people that I know are good writers and people I've worked with before, uh, Naomi Hirohara, my buddy Gar Haywood, uh, 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 Emery Holmes, uh, uh, Penny Mickleberry, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, oh, and, and, and I can't uh, forget uh, Roberto Lovato, who I've known forever, uh, who's uh, uh, Salvadoreño. And so this was his first, he has written, he's written a, a, um, a nonfiction book that was a New York Times bestseller, kind of his memoir, but this was his first foray into fiction. So we kind of uh, worked uh, taking his story apart, putting it back together. Anyway, all that to say is that I was very happy with the happenstance or the luck of, of picking um, the range of writers and what they, you know, and what they turned in after they picked after they picked an area of, of the sort of expanded historic view of South Central. Hmm. I'm curious too about the section headings because when I was doing Palm Springs Noir, somehow Frank Sinatra made sense that right. the headings should be song titles, right? And then the stories that I put under those um, subheads had to somehow fit the song. How did each of you, um, choose your your section headings i'm looking at uh, ours are also song titles but um we didn't correct the typos so you might not be able to google them <laughs> that's great <laughs> that's good so, there's definitely this land was supposed to have another word i don't remember what the other oh word that's was. great that's great that's perfect but it ended up sounding really mysterious <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, the same for us. You know, we just I just picked so I had four categories and I can't remember now I can't even remember the fourth category, but somehow I got that got uh reconfigured. So we have just the three kind of uh categories, uh broad categories that we put the various uh, uh various stories under. But yeah, and this is just, just the idea that, you know, they're from uh well in my case of course they're from songs from from uh a certain era. Uh, as opposed to sort of modern, uh, modern stuff. Hmm. So I want to talk about your stories. And well, first of all, did you write your stories after the rest came in? Or were you working at it on your stuff as others were working on theirs? Oh, no, someone dropped out and I had to write mine really quickly. I swear that's why it is the way it is. <laughs> someone dropped out, yeah. But, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it was my first published story and I did not edit it as much as I wanted it to. But every other story in the collection I'm so proud of, I'm just awkward about my own. I, uh, I think, no, in fact, I know I was working on it as uh, the others were working on their stories uh, once I had picked uh, the area of town or at least the area of town we we uh start in in the story and i i kind of thought uh, i proved to be this proved to be correct which is often not the case with my thoughts but i did kind of think that what i picked for my story which essentially is a a look at uh, uh police spying uh, we start kind of on a grander scale but then we kind of focus down on what was then called the the Public Disorder Intelligence Division here in Los Angeles at the time when I came along as a community organizer around police abuse. I thought because I'm going to be drawing on some of my own uh, experiences and my own memories, even though I'm going to also now at that point shift it to uh, 92, um, which is also drawing on my own experiences and memories. I thought I, I thought that would be territory that, that the other writers would not uh, have or not stake out. And so at least that, to, to that degree, it, it proved to be correct. Hmm. Um, I guess one more, one more thing about my, my story, I wanted to set it in a co-op and I was really glad that um, there was another story in the anthology that I really like by Amy Gentry that's also set in a housing cooperative and it's just kind of nice to, to read those two in tandem and think about people living in housing co-ops. Hmm. Well, how did you arrange them? I mean, did you arrange them so that one kind of led into the, the next, or was it just much more random than that? I think we were kind of going with like old Austin, new Austin, weird Austin. Mm -hmm. Ish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
I can say for certain because I just looked at this and I do, I kind of remember this. For sure, it made sense to start with Steph's Steph Cha's story, which is set uh, during '92, right during the uh, uh, civil unrest or the riots or however you want to term it of '92. So that made sense because that's that is in fact the uh, galvanizing event that puts South Central into the into the national. Uh, uh, conversation uh, for good and for ill. And so it made sense that you start there and you kind of then uh, go a little bit uh, more uh, into the mind of uh, certainly this Korean American guy, this Korean guy actually, transplanted Korean guy, which you might necessarily have seen uh, uh, or read, I should say, before, or maybe maybe you have because you've read Steph Chow's uh, novels. Uh, and then, and then I see, yeah, we went to Jervy, which is a modern story, but then we, then we, then we reel back to Emory's story, which I, I, <laughs> I loved Emory's story. I mean, I love all the stories, but the, it, the story was much longer and bigger. And at some point around 17,000 words, I said, you know, Emory, <laughs> you know, we gotta, we're gonna have to excise a lot of stuff here. We're going to bring it down and we're going to have to have some kind of, uh, crime element here we need you know because you got some great history stuff and he starts with a crime element anyway so he finally wove that all in but i I do really so love that story because it is set in such a and his and eric's story eric stone's story eric's i guess a little slightly uh different era but but kind of in the same continuum along central avenue central avenue was kind of this um center of of black life in segregated los angeles so that there was um uh the hotel there, actually there was more than just uh, the Dunbar, there was actually several hotels um, uh, on and off Central Avenue, uh, catering to the black clientele, including uh, actors and musicians. But of course the clubs, it was the jazz clubs along Central Avenue, that was the thing, as well as there was the doctor's office and dentist, et cetera, et cetera. And so that you really do get a sense of that era, of that time period in uh, in Emory's story. So I thought that was, I, I, I kind of thought if, and I think I think I know we went back and forth. And I think a couple other stories we moved around a little bit, but really because we do touch on these various eras, including like in Naomi's story, which talks about the Crenshaw area at a certain time period of black and uh, uh, Japanese American folks uh, uh, living together, working together, and and in her case, uh, I am Yujimbo, this this young uh, kid who I so identify with, I think, because the kid was kind of a nerd, and, and but he was all influenced by, you know, these samurai movies and envisioned himself as a modern-day samurai out to, out to save the damsel. Uh, and, of course, he got it all backwards and all screwed up. But but uh, it was just such an affecting story. It was just, and I so identify with that that young man. So anyway, all that to say is that, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think the configurations that we finally arrived at between me and talking with, you know, the editors and, 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 and working it out, I, I was really just so pleased. Emory's story is really long, isn't it? It was much longer. <laughs> how, how long is it here? Is it like 10,000 words, something like that? Uh, I think it comes in under, under 10,000, but like I said, we, we cut it down by half. Wow, yeah. <laughs> okay. I know I, with, you know, uh, you stayed up all night last night. It's not because I'm not fascinated by everything. <laughs> I just had a very early flight. Oh my goodness. Oh, I see. From Texas to there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, I think Janet, Janet Fitch and Todd Goldberg turned in really long stories. And I'm like, you know, it's <laughs> too long. And Janet's like, I don't know how to write a short, a shorter <laughs> short story. So yeah, we had to edit. But I wondered if you had any, if you had to reject anyone, because we had a kind of a nightmare with one writer that kept trying to write the story and kept revising and I'm like you don't have to try again yeah no no I'm going to try again and she I think rewrote it three or four times I'm like it's just not happening and she oh wow still mad at me I mean you're yeah Yeah. like you owe me a kill fee I'm like wait a minute (laughs) wait a minute did you have any any nightmares with uh putting together your anthologies uh, just just having to write my story a little quickly and also getting the timing a little wrong. So I told some authors that we had less time than we ended up having because some other authors turned in their stories late. 
And so there were some people who I initially said, oh, we need this by this time. And they said, oh, I can't write something. Yeah. By and then I, we still were finalizing, like, we were still getting submissions in from, like, people who were late, like, months later. And I was like, oh, damn, I guess I could have told those for yeah. a bit longer. <laughs> and, and just out of curiosity, the person that dropped out, did they, did they say why? Um, yeah, he was just like, <laughs> he was moving to California. <laughs> okay well hmm. uh, uh, I've, never, yeah. I've had the experience Barbara from before this is some years ago in fact it was on Orange County Noir and I won't say the writer's name uh, and really I, I thought I was just suggesting a fairly slight edit and uh, they took great great umbrage and, and they dropped out so I I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. Uh, and then on this particular one, uh, a writer uh, ghosted me. Just uh, everything seemed to be going along just lovely, and uh, it just sort of disappeared. I mean, I mean, and I know the cat's still around. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, but I thought that was, well, so that's interesting. I mean, you yeah. at least just tell me, okay, I can't, you know, for this or that reason, I can't get it done. Well, anyway, but it, it, it's okay. I was able to 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 uh to backfield actually I, I was quite happy with the story uh it was actually nick uh, nick charles nicholas charles uh, uh story that that came in the last uh essentially the last minute but he but he had been bugging me already about uh being in it and uh, and i had told him at that point well, we're, we're full up and blah blah and then turned out well we weren't full up uh and, and i will say this i often uh, i should admit this on on a media on a podcast thing but i often lie to the writers i often tell them the deadline is this but in fact it isn't that right it's later that's a good idea i guess yeah. the only other thing was that um i love my fellow editors but there were three of us and that yeah. did lead to a lot of like very long email threads how how did you work that out i mean were there stories or Things we they wanted to do. We each recruited authors and then basically read the stories that came in. But the person who recruited each author was the one responsible for transmitting edits to to them. Mm -hmm. hmm. And then Akashic, when it did, it's like pass over the stories to submitted final versions to each author individually. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, what you were saying, Gary, about, you know, writers having a problem with your edits, and, and I would imagine, Molly, you go through this with Lit Hub and Crime Reads and all that. I mean, like, do you find that a lot? Like, people are like, no, what do you want to do that for? And then what happens to them? I mean, does there come a point where you go, you know? He's has got an excerpt instead. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's fine if someone doesn't want to make edits, but <laughs> it's going to lead to a different type of coverage. <laughs> um, <sighs> but there are often people who, like, aren't available to write anything for crime reads, and I still recommend their book, like, 50 million times. So there's yeah. not a direct correlation or anything. Very good. That's very um, magnanimous. Very magnanimous. Very good. We do, I think, Dwyer and I do most of our editing type like uh, most of our editing work is shaping the topic at the beginning to make sure that it, we're not going to have to edit it much. Mm -hmm. But the only really confusing thing that people do sometimes is they'll quote their own book in their essay. And that mm -hmm. gets really confusing because it's just confusing to write something and then also be quoting your mm -hmm. own book. Right. Mm -hmm. It seems kind of a strange kind of log rolling, right? Well, it's usually like essays on character setting and they want to like illustrate it. So I'm just, right. I, instead, I just want you to paraphrase this and like bring in some outside examples or something. Right, right. Well, talk about, talk about writing short stories. I mean, like with your stories, where did you begin? What, what, I, you know, I mean, did, did you run through other ideas and drafts of other things or did you know you had the beginning? I really, I really disliked my, uh, wait, no, I don't want to get sued for libel. <laughs> that one actually died, okay? 
All right. That's it. There we go. <clears throat> it's funny you should mention sued for libel because, in fact, the first story or first idea that I was going to write for South Central Noir involves, I think I can say this because it's been in the paper. In fact, I think there's a documentary. Anyway, there was a, a, uh, a certain individual uh, who was in the, you know, uh, he was a dean of uh, one of the uh, uh, schools at SC. Anyway, he, he was in, it was a piece on him. And in fact, in fact, there's a podcast. I think there's a whole series about the guy now. <clears throat> there's a podcast about this. So I'm actually in safe territory to say this much, which is to say he was involved with some really strange and noirish and very Jim Thompson-ish Thompson uh, extracurricular activities. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll somehow thinly disguise USC and write about him. And Johnny said, no, man, no. Everybody's going to know who you're talking about, and we're going to get sued. I said, okay, okay, all right, all right, fine, fine. I won't do him. And <clears throat> so then, and I know, and, and, and I'm not giving much away, but my story starts not in South Central, right? My story starts uh, on the East Coast, and it starts with a, a certain individual who, who is modeled, and I, this I can say, I'm, I'm not worried about getting sued on this part. <laughs> who was modeled on uh, uh, G. Gordon Liddy. Because I think at the time, and for you young kids, you can Google him. I think it's a, I think it's a, a miniseries now, right? Uh, the White House Plumbers on... on uh, I watched I watch that movie, yeah, Dick, yeah. a lot. Did you guys ever see Dick? No, no. Uh -uh. It was so good. It was um, a parody of Watergate. Where oh, that's great. President's dog walkers are the ones who are deep throat, and it's two 15-year-old girls. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. That's perfect. That's great. That's great. Uh, so G. Gore literally is one of the one of the White House uh, plumbers, but in fact, you know, he had this kind of really strange and career, and he was kind of like this proto-fascist kind of guy, and he would stick his hand over the burning uh, candle and let it, let the flesh blacken the show. He had willpower, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, and, and Robert Conrad, there's another old blast with that. Robert Conrad played him in a TV movie years ago. Anyway. I think at the time Liddy had just died or was already been dead, or maybe I just read about him being dead or something like that. And I thought, oh, that's how I'll, I'll have a G. Gordon Liddy-like character, kind of, but he's kind of wigged out, right? He's kind of, you know, on the stages of dementia, start this story. And then we're going to start kind of way up here in the stratosphere and then eventually get back down to, to Earth. So once I knew, well, once I knew I couldn't do the, <laughs> the tell-all, my my noir character based on the on the real character from USC. I thought then okay, I can I can do I can do this story because you know again it's not really Liddy, but he's a Liddy like character, and but what Liddy stood for is kind of emblematic of how then the story unfolds. Absolutely. <laughs> when, I was, when I was reading Central Noir, I was thinking about um, Mike Davis's book uh, City of Courts a lot. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You're right. Uh, really, Molly, uh, honestly, and, and uh, really another uh, guy who's uh, who's gone a little too damn quick. Uh, but yeah, I mean, City of Courts, I mean, really, really, you can look at me. Uh, I know Roberto on the book and several other writers in the book. I mean, really, City of Courts is just sitting there. It's the tone that that was just set to. There's a there's a new book the out this year that really reminds me of it. That's a history yeah. of Palo Alto. Yeah. Also into a lot of really fascinating California like stuff. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. That's great. It's so good. Right on. Right it's on. It's a thousand pages, but several hundred of those Ooh. are footnotes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Ooh, la, la. All right. What about you, Molly? When you write uh, short stories, when you like this short story, like, I guess where was the starting uh, point? With this story, I was. I really like um, moral conundrum stories about weirdos from the like early to mid 20th century. So I guess I was trying to channel that um, with like a character who uh, is like badly behaved in annoying ways and tries to warn people around her about someone who's badly behaved in more dangerous ways. But there's difficulty in her community believing her. And it's sort of about the the ways in which we pathologize annoying behavior more than uh, violent behavior. Hmm. And uh, yeah, also there's lots of like people drinking in co-ops. 
I, I lived in housing co-ops for a bunch of years and they're a really unique experience. Mm -hmm. Austin has like, it's one of the top cities in the, the nation for people living in housing co-ops. Yeah. I don't think Orange County has any of those. I, I don't <laughs> oh yeah, housing co-ops, probably not, not Orange yeah. County. Oh, by the way, and, and so just for, just for the record, just so you don't have to worry about getting uh, uh, any trouble here, Barbara. The book that talks about the guy I'm talking about is called Bad City, Peril and Power in the City of, uh, of Angels. And it's a recent book, but it's Paul Pringle. Uh, it came out actually in, in uh, came out last oh, year. It came out last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he talks about, he, he specifically talks about uh, the cover-ups at the University of Southern California. So so that was that was the, having read some of his pieces then in the Times before he did the book was what it uh, inspired me to originally to my original idea for the story. And then I backed off of that, then went the other direction. Hmm. There you the, go. the Palo Alto book mentions a murder at Stanford. Ooh, wow. Yeah, James, James, James Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. Is that right? No kidding, wow. Yeah, there is, there's a book called Who, Who Killed Jane Stanford that came out, um, I think late last year. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, Nonfiction. So she's, she's of the Stanfords, is that the point? Yeah. And the Paul yeah. references that a lot. It also, I mean, it was really interesting talking about the origins of Stanford because before Stanford was a school, it was a yeah. horse farm huh. that was all into getting the best racehorses by training them too hard and not minding if some of them broke their ankles and had, right. to, be had to be shot. Wow. Which is, you know, very deeply symbolic of yeah. their later reputation as a tech powerhouse. That's deep. That's deep. Yeah. Wow. So what about the last story in your in your anthologies? Like any significance to what you put last? It's the most fucked up. <laughs> the That's great. That's great. <laughs> you gotta you gotta look at the author photo for the guy who wrote that one. He oh. uh, he got photographed for the <laughs> cover of the Austin Chronicle um, after winning like best live readings in Austin. Yeah. And the picture is this guy Andrew Hilbert. The picture is him sitting on a toilet, oh. holding a slice of raw meat. There you go. It's very it's very Lady Gaga. Right, right. There we go. That's interesting. And, uh, uh, that's one of two horror stories in it, which is kind of nice. Oh, very nice. Very good. Yeah, we, yeah. In in South Central North, we got we have two uh, two ghost stories, and I like I said, I mean, well, I kind of knew one one of the right not to redo. I mean, that's what she writes, right? She writes horror and supernatural. So that, but Jerry Weston did a ghost story, which and I like both of the stories. But again, I never I never specified um, type of story. Uh, and as to the the last, I had to look because I had forgotten. Yes, we have Larry Foundation, who's by the way a longtime community organizer. Uh, his story is last. His story is probably the briefest, but on a lot of ways, it's the it's very poignant. It's 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 a kind of um, sharp focus uh, characterizations that he writes. So I thought, yeah, that's a that's a good way to end out to round out the book. It's a good way to kind of give you this again this sense from from a young man from the projects and his arc. And it's not a big arc, right? But it's a it's an arc that a lot, a lot like a lot of the youth, a lot of the folks that Larry works with and organizes, that's their arc. And so mm -hmm. that it so it so well speaks to um, the neighborhood uh, and the and the uh, it just you know you're just trying to make it, man. You're just trying. You got this little jive job, and mm -hmm. all you're doing is just trying to make it. Okay, so you have your story. You've written your draft of your story. Then what? Like, what's your revision process like? For all the short story writers out there who have an awful time revising and, and landing the story, finding the ending. I feel like we really didn't have to do that much revising mm. with our authors once once they told us like the premise of their story. Mm -hmm. What about your own? What about your own? My own was not edited nearly enough. I'm sorry, public. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's good, but just don't think it's the best I can do. I can do better. I'll do better. <laughs> That's it. Uh, 
I often, when I've taught or talked about uh, short stories, because I, you know, come from a mystery and a crime fiction background, I often do talk about like the twist or the reveal. So that, that's sometimes what I think about in a story. Or, and I know how my story ends, my story ends ambiguously, which I somehow doing, I don't know if I'm doing more of that, but I, I certainly know when I do that. And it is intentional to the extent that I think I want some kind of sense of non-closure, right? That it's not resolved. That uh, in my case, and particularly in, in this story, Death of a Sideman, where McGrady, and McGrady was the character in The Underbelly, uh, and where McGrady is now essentially figured out the puzzle, uh, but because there's complexities to how, what this character did, that it's not black and white, that it is gray, that there's shades of, of uh, indecision and indecisiveness. Uh, and it creates this within McGrady. And, and to me, it just seemed more um, real, it seemed more actual, that, as opposed to everything gets tied together. And yeah. maybe, and maybe, Maybe that's also my my bid to noir that in fact, kind of as Molly said early on, which is to say, you have these uh, you have these external forces, and McGrady can't do shit about changing none of that. That to tell the truth that he knows it won't it won't do anything, and in fact, it'll be just a further you know harrowing of of stuff that's already happened. And and, it, and won't that be worse? And that's where that's where he, that's where his indecision lies. The, the it's Chinatown moment. That's right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Is that is is for you, Gary? Is writing short fiction is is there a whole different process than writing novels? I mean, are you looking at endings differently? Are you? Yes. Yes, I, yes, I, that, to, to that extent, Barbara, yes, I'm looking at things dif differently. And for instance, uh, I'm going to do a little quick plug here. I have a collection of my more pulp sci-fi uh, out there <laughs> stories coming out uh, later this year from Three Rooms Press. Uh, uh, the Unvarnished Gary Phillips, the, the Mondo Pulp Collection. <laughs> and and, and for, so for me, short stories are about uh, more experimentation, feeling freer to not worry about the confines of any given genre, but to fool around with it more. Now, and all the, and by the way, this is starting to leak more into my, into my so-called uh, straight, you know, novels uh, as well. I mean, now, I, you know, I, I finished the, the uh, sequel to One Shot Harry. And again, it's, you know, set more, more or less real, but it, set, it starts with the Watts Riot 65. Um, but I have in mind this other novel that would definitely be much more, um, kind of where my head is going these days. You know, you guys know, um, you guys know who Spain Rodriguez was. That's before y'all's time. So Spain Rodriguez was this underground artist. In fact, there's a, there's a pretty nice little, uh, and, uh, documentary about him called Bad Attitude. It's on Amazon. It's, you can rent it cheap, buck 99. And, uh, Spain Rodriguez did this one character. He did several characters, but he did this character called Trash Man, and uh, and <laughs> Trash Man was an agent of the of the fifth, the sixth international. Anyway, it's all sort of about. But there's some working class politics in there. There's a lot of sexism in there. I mean, Spain Rodriguez is not somebody's certainly no feminist, but he he was a very interesting artist and writer. Kind of interesting cat with his background and stuff. Anyway. I, I, I kind of went to that segue only because the, the Spain Rodriguez trash man stuff has always had an influence on me sort of deep down in the background. And so now uh, I think it's starting to eat away part of my brain. And so now this, the thing I want to get done after finishing or after putting to bed, the, the one shot Harry sequel will be more in that vein. So I'm, you know, some black exploitation elements, some, uh, I mean, Ho Chi Minh is going to show up anyway. So anyway, all that to say is that, you know, so yes, all that sort of dance. So all the stuff that's been fooling around with in the context of messing around the alchemy of the short stories, now I'm going to do it more full-blown. Yeah, yeah. So short stories have contaminated my thinking. That's the, that's the, that's the lesson. That's the lesson. I, I guess when I think about 
when I take on short stories, um, it kind of makes me think of reading Italo Calvino's short stories and realizing that a lot of his short stories have twists of like humanity in them, like mm. people just behaving unexpectedly. And that is something that recurs a lot in the stories in Austin Noir. And it was really nice to have sort of surprises as like based around characters behavior and like occasionally characters kindness mm. like unexpected kindness as a twist is always my favorite especially if it's like someone kills someone else and then everyone hates that person and then the murderer like gets invited to dinner or something it's really nice everyone's happy <laughs> <laughs> and the roses bloom very well that year there you go that's right that's right it's been so long since I've read I don't know Calvino. It's time again, I think. Yeah. What was that novel of his that's something cities? Um, In, um, Invisible City? Invisible, Invisible Cities. Oh, man. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. I have to check that out again. Yes, yes. It's so long. Well, we're getting to the end of our time, and I wonder if you both have a tip or words of wisdom or something for the writers who are who are listening, whatever it might be. Uh, for me, it's, I guess, just keep working on your crafts because the writers that we all worked with had just done an enormous amount of thought, had already poured an enormous amount of thought into their writing and it was like hard to tell the difference between the, the people who published many books and the people who like had written short stories on their own and hadn't been published yet. And I mean, it was really, it was, yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. That. Mm -hmm. no, I really second that in terms of <clears throat> You know, the stories we got uh, for South Turtle, like I said, you know, Roberto's, this was his first uh, try at uh, at fiction, uh, although he was really enthusiastic about it. Now he's, I know he's writing more fiction. Uh, and so, but, you know, the idea is that we uh, were, op he was open as the writer and me as the editor to uh, suggestions and, and giving, uh, taking back and forth, uh, working on it to, to really craft it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, hey, don't ghost your editors. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> well, revision is a big deal, right? I mean, that's like right. Taking taking feedback and being able to do something with it instead of becoming defensive is is important, right? It's important. Yeah, yeah. And my my tip for writers and editors is to focus on the difference between making a story, you know, not confusing versus like trying to have some kind of uniform voice like everyone needs to develop their voice like i think a lot of the the edits that we did were just about bringing people's voices more into focus mm -hmm. that's great that's great yeah that's very cool that's right do you before we go do you have a favorite in your anthologies other than your own of course they're all my children no <laughs> no i can't i'm not it's not succession man barbara i ain't gonna have them i'm not pitting them one against the other i won't do it i won't do it i know and and I, was... I have a favorite setting okay richard santos's story set in the parking garage at the domain the domain is this <laughs> horrible like open air mall oh, where like people live in the top floors and there's like fancy stores on the bottom floors and like lots of people walking around with large shopping bags very slowly and it's really hard to park that's pretty that's great that's great so that's rush hour right rush hour yeah yeah all right i, I gotta read that that's perfect i feel like you really captured the yeah yeah the essence of new austin <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. Of course. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, that's so great. Well, Molly and Gary, thank you so much. It's Thanks for having us. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. It was great talking to you all. Yeah, it was.
Oh, can I can I ask one question about Palm Springs? Yeah. So one thing that was kind of interesting working on Austin Noir was I felt like it was kind of balanced in between the, the Palm Springs narrative of like like people who are well off trying to prevent like a lot of large scale change, sometimes via environmentalism, sometimes like I don't know, I guess Austin has like a lot of nimbyism and the the really nice neighborhoods. Hmm. But like there's also there's not the same history that there was in Palm Springs. But then there's also like all this gentrification going on. And then there's like the narrative of like the historic bits of the town vanishing. And I don't know, I guess I was just interested in in hearing what both of y'all had to say about like writing and editing about cities in flux mm. wow <clears throat> yeah <laughs> that's a great question um maybe gary should should uh no i no i mean other than as i said i i, I was just happy that for our for my purpose the stories that were both set in modern times and also set both in a kind of near past and in a more distant past, to me, then gave you a sense of change, a sense of the arc of this, at least for South Central, a sense of that of that area. It didn't capture all of it, of course, because how could it, just 14 stories, yeah. but it, you you did get some sense of, of, uh, of what was before and now what's there now and then what's coming. Yeah, you know, it's funny because the Palm Springs Noir um, was written, um, I guess, during, was it, I think the stories came in during the early part of COVID, mm. early part of lockdown. And the massive since, amounts of people were moving there. Yeah. And so mm. now, I mean, what what has happened? Like, I was thinking, what if we did it now? Because mm. price, you know, like house prices have gone up. I mean, it's really kind of changed in a lot of ways to where it's unaffordable for a lot of people now. And I yeah. it would I think it would have been kind of a different book. Yeah. Because of that. Because it, it was expensive then and there were people moving in, but not like now, where it's just like so many Airbnbs and VRBOs. And yeah. yeah. It's um it's like Austin in terms of pushing all the artists out. Mm-hmm. Well, artists are always the first wave, and then once once they're there, see, they establish the beachhead, right? They're the sacrificial lambs, and once they establish the beachhead, then you come in and you know you get rid of them because they're just bums, oh, and, yeah. and then you I mean, uh, build a thing. So much of the desert now. Build them all, then you build them all. Yeah, they're all. Everybody's pushed like the artists are pushed out to the edge right. of the desert. Even right. Joshua Tree is overpriced. Oh wow! Yeah. And you know there was a there was a black community, a black area in Palm Springs in the fifties, and that got uh, bulldozed. And there's actually, uh, hmm. I think there might be. I don't know if there's a documentary about it. Or maybe there's a book about it. It's a fairly recent book about it, which I didn't know. I, I had no knowledge of that at all. But yeah, uh, I know about that. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of you know, a lot of the 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 people that come into work, they can't live there. I mean, no. They, they, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, yes, yeah, exactly, right. Or uh, well, and San Francisco, another fine example, right? right. I mean, of uh, yeah, and LA, and even LA now, more and more. I mean, we're uh, yeah, yeah, crazy. Well, on that upbeat note, on that, that's right. On that happy note, well, AI will take care of all that well. and with a noir frame of mind, right? Right, exactly. Like from bad to worse. Bad. <laughs> Here we go. Well, we keep it on theme. You know what I mean? Yeah, starts starts yeah. bad, gets worse. It starts bad, gets worse. That's right. Jump and Jiminy. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Barbara. That's great. Thanks to all of you for loving books and taking the time to listen. And a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters. Thank you to Travis Barrett, who does our music and sound editing and has an album's worth of typewriter music on Spotify. You can find it by looking for Just My Type. You can access our archive of shows 25 years worth at writersonwriting.com. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at penonfire at earthlink.net. My website is penonfire.com. 
Marie Stone is at mariestone at gmail.com and Travis Barrett is at travisbarrettcreative at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, remember to stay in the chair. Thank you.